0: There you have it. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the word of God this morning. Father, we thank you, we thank you so much for all that you allow us to do. We are spoiled. We are just so stinking spoiled. We thank you and praise you for the rain and the changing weather. but we also just thank you for blessing us with such a comfortable place, though we so, we're, we're just blessed. we're dry. We have beautiful chairs, nice soft cushy chairs. We still have the freedom to pray, to sing, to carry our Bibles openly in this country. Lord, we're blessed. And so Father, we can, we can find ourselves through all of those blessings becoming way too comfortable in our faith. And so even this morning as we study your word, Lord, make us uncomfortable. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to Stir and to fan the flame as we're going to see this morning. The church at Ephesus who left their first love. Father, we don't want that. And I know, I know every Bible believing Christian in this room does not want that. But it's easy to slip into that. We all have to admit that. So Lord, stir the fan. Stir it up. That you would be glorified. That your name would be high and lifted up this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 49, to the chief musician, a psalm of the songs of Korah. Here the psalmist pours forth a message that is quite clear to the mature believer, but one that causes frustration at times for the young believer. And the conversation is going to be finances, finances. You see, there are those who seem to be wealthy and appear to have no problems. There are others who are poor and seem to have nothing but problems. So, so let's see what the Holy Spirit inspired this author to write here. Verses 1 through 4. Hear this, all peoples. So the psalmist here is not just speaking to the believer. He is addressing all of mankind, the believer as well as the unbeliever. And there's only two groups of people on the face of the earth. Now, we like to break ourselves up by our nationality or social or economic status. There's only two groups of people on the face of the earth, Jew or Gentile. Those are the two groups. And within those two groups, you either have believers or non-believers. And that's it. That's it. And so as we come to celebrate the birth of Christ, we know he wasn't born in December. Most likely he was born in October or March. The shepherds were in the field. The shepherds would not have been in the fields in December. So, you know, we just pick that day and that's that's okay to pick. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to get hung up on that. What we want to get hung up on is that God loved the world so much that He would even send us a Savior. Even as I share with the children this morning, how many of you are sinners? A few of them raise their hand. I go, oh, you all raise your hands. You're stinking little sinners. Every one of you. And they 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 finally, you know, you're right. You're right. We are. We are. We need a Savior. And so the psalmist says, hear this all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. And I really like that because a lot of times we're not in the word. And I really encourage you, as I always do, to be in the word from Genesis to Revelation. No matter how young you are, I encourage you to start a daily habit of being in the Word of God. Especially in the morning if you can. Because then when you do that, you at least have the Word of God in your head that will eventually sink down to your heart. Not that you're going to understand it all. Just get over that right now. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not never going to figure it all out. God wrote it. You're never going to figure it all out. But you will figure certain things out. And those are the things that God's trying to reach you specifically about and as you come to understand those things now you can meditate on that throughout the day and and you'll be busy doing your work and you'll be doing busy doing this and that and then all of a sudden you know at at lunch or some other time that that one word maybe that you heard this morning or saw this morning or caused you to stop and ponder all of a sudden comes back into your head and because of what's happening around you, you go oh wow there there's an example of that So you're meditating on the word of God throughout the day, not being irresponsible, but being responsible, but you've at least got it in your brain. It's back there, and the Holy Spirit can now bring it forth. Notice what he says here. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart. That's what he's talking about there, meditating upon the word of God. And as we meditate upon the word of God, shall give understanding. We may wake up in the morning and go, I just don't understand do your reading, do your prayer time, give it to God. And you will be amazed if not that day, that week, it may take longer, but eventually you're going to hear from God and you're going to get the understanding that you're desiring to have because he wants to give it to you. You know, it's not the carrot and the donkey routine. He wants to give it to you. But if we're not willing to ask and then we're not willing to read and then we're not willing to listen, how will he ever understand? Most Christians don't. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying upon the harp. You see, the psalmist here, as we just read, pleads all to listen to his words, those who are wealthy as well as those who are poor. And depending on where someone falls on the scale of monetary system of their culture, think about this, not just America, but any country, they might not listen. You know, there are those who don't care what the poor think. (laughs) And there are those who really don't care what the rich think. But here the psalmist exhorts both to listen that they might come to understand their end. As we go into verses 5 through 9. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? So he asks a simple question, why, why should I fear? Now, if you think of the psalmist, he has a relationship with God. He's being inspired by God to write this. So he's saying, why should I fear? I I understand. It's not about wealth. It's not about being rich. It's not about being poor. It's about a personal relationship with God. And he has a personal relationship with God. So why should I fear the days of evil? When the iniquity at my heels surrounds me. Those who trust in their wealth, notice that, and boast in the multitude of their riches... And the key there is trust. You know, God blesses us, and I think all of us, if you heard me say over the years, we're all very rich in America. With everything we have, we would be classified as rich anywhere else in the world that you go. But just for purposes of the scriptures here, this is talking about a person that has been blessed financially over and above the rest of us. And the word there, the key word there is trust. Trust, because we all get used to trusting certain things. We all get used to going out in the morning, putting the key in, turning the ignition, and it starts. We just trust that to happen. Most of the time, we're not going out every morning, saying a prayer at the steering wheel. God, please let it start this morning. Please let it start. We don't. We just automatically trust. We trust that when we put it in reverse, it's going to go backwards and not forwards. We trust. So there's lots of things that we naturally trust in, but unfortunately we can get used to that so much that we forget there's a God who has blessed me with a car that actually literally keeps this thing running. And yes, I have my responsibilities, but this has been given to me by God. And that's the same thing with money. If God has given you excessive money, God has given that to you for a reason. It's not for you to hoard, for you to hide, for you to, to you know sock away for a rainy day. Because God's given you that amount of money over and above. He's given it to you for a very specific reason. Well, let's just keep reading on. None of them, and I actually have this verse highlighted in my Bible. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. Nor give God a ransom for him. Now again, if you're reading from Genesis Revelation, you know exactly what that means. But maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're young in the Lord, or maybe you're not used to reading, and so you're kind of going, redeem his brother, ransom, What 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 is what is being said here? And this is very, very important. You see, in the Jewish culture back then, and throughout the centuries, and not just the Jewish culture, in most cultures, the wealthy people were looked at as being blessed by God, or the God's. So if you were one of those people who had a lot of things, and you can read the book of Job to get a better understanding of this, you were looked at in that culture, again, Jewish or non, as being a very righteous person. You must be doing things right. You were looked at as being a sinless person. You're, you're not as bad as the rest of us. You know, there's cultures even today that firmly believe that and it's called karma. You know, reincarnation. Well, you came back the way you were because of a previous life and a previous life and a previous life. And in some cultures, you're taught that you will never get out of that. That is just your lot for all of eternity. Isn't that a great teaching? It makes you want to join that fellowship. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. Well, who can redeem us? Well, again, if you're reading, you come to understand... That only God can. You see, we're going to die. And when it comes time to die, no one is going to be able to purchase their way out of it. And I I get a kick out of our culture. Because we're able to prolong life, but no one has yet been able to figure out how to avoid death. And they never will. You know, I've gone to the emergency room many times and I've been in ICU units where we put people and we put all these contraptions on them and we're trying to keep them alive and so forth and so on. And the family has to come to that agonizing decision when the doctors say, there's nothing we can do. And so they have to make that decision to take them off life support. So we can keep a body theoretically pumping, but there's actually some people and there's actually a place in Scottsdale where when you die, you can have your head cut off and they'll freeze your head for a pretty price, but they'll freeze your head. So that someday when they figure out what was wrong with you and they and they find a cure for that, they'll take another body of somebody that dies and they'll reattach your head to that body and you'll come back and live some more. Guys, this is reality. This is, you know, you think, oh, that's, that's the twilight zone. No one would spend money doing that. Do a little research. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent on that process. And it's right here in Scottsdale. There's a firm in Scottsdale that does that. Why would you want to come back anyways? I've never figured that out. But you know, it's just when you don't have God, when you have no hope of the life hereafter, and this might even be you this morning, you're going to die. It's amazing. Ten out of ten people still die. You are going to die. And maybe you don't have that hope that most of us in this room have. Most of us in this room, because we receive Jesus as our Savior, not because we're coming to Calvary Chapel. We receive Jesus as our Savior, not because we give money, not because we pray, not because we knock on doors, not because we read our Bibles, not because of any work. It's only because of Jesus that we are now going to heaven. Now, we should have fruit of salvation, but we're not trying to produce fruit for salvation. That's the big difference. So once you become a believer, then you, yes, you produce fruit of salvation. And we should have that. You know, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. How about if you turn to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. We're going to have some slides, but we had to change over our our equipment back there, so we'll have that available for next week. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Peter says, "Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold." Notice that silver or gold has always been a symbol of wealth. Wealth from your aimless conduct. So, so Peter it says one thing. You know, you can't be saved through your money, your monetary value, from your aimless conduct. Received by tradition from our fathers, nor by your religious duties. As I was born and raised in a a religion where if you just were good enough and did so many things, God most likely would love you and, and save you. Didn't know for sure, but most likely would. But, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. The cross. And so even as we celebrate his birth... We know he's not a baby. We know he's seated at the right hand of God. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's coming back as a righteous judge, not as a meek and mild human being. And it's only through the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how we become redeemed. No one else can redeem us. Not a priest, not a pastor, no one else can redeem us. It is only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, back in Psalm 49. For the redemption of their souls is costly. Now again, since, you know, this writer who is writing, we don't know exactly when, but we could at least say at least 2,500 plus years, if not 2,800 plus years, there's been a lot of scriptures given to us since then, and we now look at this and go, wow, the redemption. It was very costly. God sent his only son to die on a cross. That's costly. And any time a church, a religion, takes away from the cross and tries to put it back into the hands of their members... You're bringing Jesus down. It wasn't that costly. Now, he was an angel. He was a great prophet. Now yeah, he was a good teacher. A savior? Say, no, he didn't die on a cross. The Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on a cross. Islam does not teach that nor believe that. That's just reality. That's not bashing a religion. That's just being mature enough to talk as an adult and say this is what they believe. So that's not bashing. Because the word of God says Jesus died on a cross. And that he died for the whole world, not just a specific faith. Whether that's Roman Catholicism, or Islam, or Mormonism, or Jehovah Witness, where you have to belong to their religion in order to be saved. You see, in Calvary, we believe that Jesus did it. And if you belong to this Calvary, or if you go to another Bible-believing church that's not a Calvary, that's irrelevant. Just make sure that Bible-believing church actually teaches from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God, and that they believe it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And if that church teaches and believes that, then that's we're the same church. We're the same church. It's because there is only one C. There is only one church. None of them can... Verse 8, For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. Notice that. Isn't that incredible? Because then you read Hebrews and it says that Jesus died once, just once. And now there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. Just once. You see, as you read the Bible, like I shared with you last week, the puzzle pieces start to go up and you go, wow, that's amazing. And it shall cease forever. Did the psalmist understand that? Most likely not. But we can now look back and go, there it is, the cross. One sacrifice. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. And you'll see that's probably capitalized in your body. That's Sheol. That's Sheol. So that's the eternal separation from God. That he should continue to live for eternally. You see, you and I, we're going to live for eternally. Every single person on the face of this earth is going to get a spiritual body. The word of God teaches that. And that spiritual body is going to either be with God or separated from God. But every single body is going to live eternally. But here the psalmist says, because we know God, because we have a relationship with God, because we're not relying upon our riches or our duties, because we rely upon God, we're going to live with God forevermore. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Notice their inner thought. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Do we see that happening at all in our civilization? Streets named after people. Towns named after people. The Romans were going to last forever, weren't they? The Babylonians were going to last forever, weren't they? Did they? We can look back and say, uh, no, it doesn't work. And so is foolishness, it's nonsense. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beast that perishes. This is the way of those who are foolish and their posterity who approve their sayings. Here we see a trap that some fall into. Again, the rich, the, the rich believe that they will live on even after their death. They name things after themselves. Trying, why do they do that? Trying to prolong, trying to prolong their earthly lives in a sense. You see, their, their hope is in their temporal and in their investments and are in such as well, they're pointless, they're useless. This is a really poor way to meet the Lord because, again, every single person, believer as well as unbeliever, one day will meet the Lord. So if you don't have Jesus as your Savior this morning, I want to encourage you to receive him because you will meet him. And your knee will bow, whether you like it or not. Now, there's nothing wrong, again, with being blessed with wealth if that is what the Lord has done for you. It's just important to keep the finances in their proper perspective. You see, if God has blessed you financially... Invest in the kingdom of God on this side of heaven. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter six, nineteen through 21. We've touched on these verses often, but we need to keep reminding ourselves. As my wife and I had a conversation last night about the Christmas stockings, and this is probably the last year we're going to be doing Christmas stockings. Because we ha- we're getting too many. <laughs> and you just find yourself standing in front of these counters, just looking at stuff, going, Well, maybe they would like that, maybe they're like that. And I don't know if they're like, okay, get- we gotta get out of here and just take it. It's going in the stocking. It's like, okay, this is getting pointless. This is just getting pointless. We gotta do something different. Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples very early on in the ministry. Very early on. In the disciples' minds, if you were wealthy, you were blessed by God. You were doing something right. You were a better sinner than they were. That's just the mentality. And so Jesus has to debug the program. And he's got to start reprogramming the program. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Isn't it amazing how we build fortresses and then have so many things, alarm systems and this and that to guard those things? For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So what is being referenced there is where you're storing up your treasure. Now, now if you, let's just use an analogy. Um, say you're putting gold in, in the back bedroom in a safe, uh, and you've got the alarm system and everything else, and one day your house is broken into. Where's the first place that you're going to run to, most likely? Because that's where your heart is at. I had $50,000 in gold in the safe. Our house has been broken into. Safe. Not the family pictures. You'll run right past the family pictures. <laughs> they can be replaced. $50,000. It's gone. So as, as we use this, and obviously you gotta bring it down to reality, What, where is, what are you, what are you storing up? What am I storing up? What are we putting our energy into? What are we putting our finances into? What are we doing? Now again, this doesn't negate responsibility. So don't, I'm not going down that road. There's nothing wrong with being debt free or any of that stuff. That's very important. But even above that is we're all going to die. And whatever we do on this side of heaven is going before us. It's not like you're going to get to heaven and say, God, can I bless a poor person now? There's no poor person in heaven. God, can I go visit somebody in in the hospital? There's nobody sick in heaven. There's no prisoners in heaven. There's no thieves. There's none of that in heaven. So guys, the only thing we can do is on this side of heaven. And this is Jesus teaching his disciples. He's telling them very specifically, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If Jesus says it, that's good enough for me. That's what I'm going to try to do. And now you need to look at that and say, well, what does that mean to me with my economic status? What does that mean to me with my time? What does that mean to me with my abilities? Because I don't want to make this all finances, because it's not just all finances. That's what the psalmist is talking about. But that's not the whole of our Christian faith. That's just one aspect of our Christian faith. We also have time. We have energy, we have other resources, we have gifts, we have abilities. How are we using them for the kingdom to bless others, whether they know it or not is irrelevant, but to bless others. And by doing that, we're storing up treasure in heaven. It's so important for where your treasure is. That's, that's the important part. And as you and I do that, all of a sudden, when something gets broken or something gets stolen, you can just go, Oh, well, it was yours anyways, God. I'm just going to keep doing this over here because this is eternal based. That was temporal based. If you want to replace it, please replace it. But if not, I guess I didn't need it. But over here, this is eternally based. I'm just going to keep doing this. However that plays out in your life. So again, don't get hung up on the finances. Don't check out because we're talking a lot about finances because that's not the sole thing. But it is something that you and I need to look at and evaluate in our lives because we're rich. We are rich in America here. How about Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 11, 24 and 26. And we're going to see a beautiful example of someone who had it all and forsook it all. By faith, Moses, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And this was roughly when he was about 40 years old. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, not knowing that he was a Hebrew. You can read the story in in, in Exodus. He affliction with the people of God then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Do you notice that there? Sin is pleasurable for a season. Your time is your time. How you spend that is your responsibility. You and I will be held accountable to that. Your money is your money. Your abilities are your abilities. We are going to be held accountable for these various things. And for a season, it might seem pleasurable. 26, esteeming the reproaches of Christ, the Messiah... The savior, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Notice that. Moses knew, I've got everything at my beckoning call right now. Forty years. I'm one of the adopted sons of Pharaoh. I could go on and have it all, so to speak. But he knew, somehow he understood that he was going to die. And that he was going to stand before a maker, whether it was a little G or a big G, he knew and a, and a majority of our seven point3 billion people know this as well they know that they're going to stand before a maker, and so he looked forward towards the reward you know as we look back in, into the psalm, it's really foolish to just look to the temporal things of this life and not invest in the eternal again that's something that you have to pray about Clyde and I are pray about praying about it and I'm going to talk to you more about it in January and February how we can invest into eternity by doing something practical on this side of heaven and I encourage you to do the same as we end a year you know we can end a year thinking about you know debt this that and the other thing I don't have time um, I, I don't have this I don't have that you know if you really this next week or two weeks you can, you're going many of you are going to have time off with your kids and it's going to be a little crazy Maybe you might want to say to your kids one day, you know what, let's just stop for a half hour. Let's just stop for a half hour and look at our lives. Let's evaluate our family for a half hour. They're going to wonder what you're doing. Okay, what's the plan here? Something's going on. Just tell them, this is no trick. Let's just, let's just look at reality and see what we're doing. Are we making good use of our time? Are we making good use of our resources? Is there something that we could do as a family that maybe we've never done? I know when our children were were little, um, we would go to Mexico and we'd do mission trips. And when they were real little, 3, 5, 7, and 10. And that instilled in them a, a, a tremendous amount of understanding that when we said, no, we can't afford it, they didn't whine and complain. They understood we couldn't afford it. But they understood as well that they still had a pair of shoes. When our kids were growing up, it was basically one pair of shoes. That's all that we literally could afford as a family. But they were, they understood that. Now you go into some people's houses and there's, the kids got four, six, eight, ten pairs of shoes. Which one do you wear? And isn't it kind of interesting that that no matter how many shoes you have, what do we like to do? Wear that one comfortable pair. And I know if you work in a career, you do need multiple shoes. I, I get all that. But again, keep it in context when I'm, the point I'm trying to make. Could we make better use of our our resources? Could we make better use of our time? Could we all do something to store up treasure in heaven? Because if you're a believer, you are heading there. You see, in verse 13 of the psalm, this is the way of those who are foolish. That word foolish there is hope. Hope. So you got to let that sink in and think a little bit. This is the way of those who hope. Hope in what? And their posterity, that word posterity there is after, after. So get the picture. You get a million dollars. You're going to pass it on to somebody. So their hope is you dying. They're really excited about that. I'll cry, but I'm excited about it. I get a million bucks. But then their hope is also that that's going to make them have a long life. Which they have no idea; they could die the next day. So, do you get the picture here? This is the way of those who have hope—hope in what? Hope in the temporal. When are they going to die? Because, boy, that—that's a cool inheritance. When are they going to die? You think they're praying for you? They're praying. They're hoping you die. When are you going to die? Because I'm. Oh, it's going to be so wonderful. It's foolishness. And of their posterity who approve of their sayings, those who have gone before them. Oh, you named a city after yourself or a street after yourself. That is so cool. That's so wonderful. I'm going to carry on the family line and I'll do the exact same thing. Where are all those people? Where are all those cities? Go over and look at all the ruins from biblical times. Ruins, 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 ruins. And we'll walk around going, wow, these are cool ruins. Ruins. But when I go and look at them, I go, could you imagine this in the heyday? It it was just, it was like Times Square. It was beautiful. It was incredible. They were just like you and us. They were living in the heyday. This is fantastic. This is great. This is never going to change. You go to Bet-Shen, where where Saul was, King Saul was hung on the wall. You go to Bet-Shen, because they've done excavations archaeologically, they've, they've uncovered the not even the whole city, but a majority of it. And in one day, there was a major earthquake. Done. These 40-foot-long marble, beautiful marble pillars. And you can stand at one spot, and you can look down the main street, and every pillar down the main street. Boom, boom, boom. And they know that the street was lined with Super Walmarts and Targets, Circle Ks. That, they, they know that. Because they've, they've unearthed the mosaics on the floor. This was their marketplace. Baths. They've, they've unearthed the, the, the public uh, bathroom. It's kind of, kind of weird. But it's. You know, they have these little... Something in my notes, but not since I'm going there. They have these little pieces of concrete that are about 18 inches long. And then they have like a 6-inch slot. And then they have another pillow of concrete, 6-inch slot. And that's what you sit on to go potty. So you have a little slot. And then they had a community brush. <laughs> and they had a trough of, of where your sewage would go and then the clean water would go and you'd take the brush and dip it in the clean water and clean yourself and, hey Tom, can I have the brush? Sure, here you go. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! This is heyday! And in one day, gone. All gone. They vacated the city. It got filled over with dirt mounds and mounds and mounds of dirt. They didn't even know it was there. Israel didn't, they just happened to stumble upon it. Guys, that's you and me. That's you and me. One day it's going to be gone. What What all the people in California? And oh no, the fire's happening, going towards Oprah's house. Oh no. <laughs> Hopefully she'll come to know Jesus, the real Jesus. Because she's going to die. Everyone's going to die. So how are you and I investing? Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. And here the psalmist in verse 14, he's, he's not equating us with animals. We're made after God's image. But he's making a point here that even animals die. Everything dies. Everything has an expiration date. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, but their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul. Notice what the psalmist says here. God. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And guys, that is our hope as believers. As the rest of the world hopes in our president or the Congress or the Wall Street or whatever it might be, no, our hope is in God. Because we're not taking anything with us. We're leaving it all behind. And God is going to redeem our soul, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. If you have Jesus as your Savior, you are going to heaven when you take your last breath. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies... He shall carry nothing away; his glory shall not descend after him. And I'm really bummed that our computer was down because I had that. I found that picture, Dave, <laughs> of a hearse with a U-Haul truck with a U-Haul trailer behind it. So remind me, and I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it up next. No, I won't next week. It's Christmas. Uh, two weeks from now, I'll have it for two weeks from now. Christmas will be well, what's he doing that for? So uh, I'll find it. We'll get that up there. It's it's a classic picture. But you're not going to have a U-Haul behind your hearse. It's not going to happen. You can be buried in your best car thinking, people do that. It's like, whatever, it's, it's just a piece of junk. It's going to rot in the ground. Again, for when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. Speaking again of the rich man who's just thinking of himself, thinking of himself, thinking of himself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. He's going to die. Sooner or later, I mean, maybe your pa- parents are alive. Maybe your grandparents are alive. But most of us in this room, our great-grandparents aren't, are alive. Most of us. And definitely, probably all of us do not have our great-great-grandparents. So sooner or later, you get the point. We're all going to die just like they died. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. So a person who has been blessed by God, whether that's financially or ability or with time, whatever it is, if you've been blessed by God, understand that. Just don't cruise into heaven comfortably. Because I can guarantee you, you will be disappointed. I can guarantee you that. But as, if you, but as you invest into the kingdom, again, whatever that is—financially, time, ability, whatever it is—you won't be disappointed. You won't be, because that was your focus, and God will use you. You see, God can only use God can only use what you give Him. It's that simple. If you don't give Him any time, how can He use you? If you don't say, "God, here are my abilities, please use them." how can he, he's not going to kick down the door and say, hey, get out there and do something now. He's not going to do that. If you're blessed with finances and, and you don't say, God, how do you want to use my finances? Use them however you want to. How can he use them? It's just that simple. So guys, as we end this year and we start another year, let's, let's just keep it simple. God, how can you use me? I don't have a lot of money. But you know what? I do have this ability. So God, how can you use this ability? If you sincerely ask him, he'll tell you. And you will be storing up treasure in heaven. Which is never wasted, never. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you have given to every single one of us certain abilities, certain talents, certain gifts. And Lord, your word makes it clear that you've given every single Bible believing Christian a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is to be used for the edification of the church specifically. Lord, do we as Christians even understand that basic principle? That no believer can ever say, well, I don't have a gift. No, they do. Your word clearly teaches that. So Lord, as we wrap up a year and start 2018, help us to focus on eternity and that one spiritual gift you have given to us to use for the building up of the body of Christ and then maybe those other gifts or talents, maybe our finances, our time, whatever it might be, That we really evaluate and possibly reprioritize our lives for 2018. That we might do more for you, less for me, more for you. Because you're going to receive the glory when it's all said and done anyways. And we want you to get glory on this side of heaven. We desire our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members to to say on our Memorial Day, they loved God, they loved Jesus. They were kind of fanatical, but we have to admit they they did love God, and they did this and they did that. And Father, that's what we want our testimony to be that 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 expiration date. That we served you, that we loved you, that we tried to bring peace on this earth. Use us this week, Father. And Lord, we pray for this evening that you would bless the evening, that you would bless the little ones, Lord. I know they're excited, but they'll also be nervous and, and they'll be giggly and giddy and all that fun stuff. Help them to <laughs> Help them to have that control, Lord, to remember their lines and the songs and all that good stuff. And Lord, we just pray for any souls that come here tonight that do not know Jesus as their Savior. That at the end of the service, when we give an invitation, that they would receive Jesus. That they would understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful Christmas story. Please, use it for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. I thought we were going to go through two psalms. Didn't make it. We'll do Psalm 50 in a couple weeks. If I don't see you, have a blessed Christmas. I know some of you will be traveling and such. Be careful. Have a blessed Christmas. Christmas Eve service next Sunday. I'm going to say it. We've got it in the, in the bulletin. We've had it on the marquee, but I know people will still show up at 9 o'clock. If you show up, you can help us clean. Praise the Lord. Because there's one service next Sunday morning. One service at... 10 o'clock. What time is service next week? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock and then we're going to have an evening service at 5 o'clock. They're both the same. Whichever one you'd like to come to. Bring somebody out, guys. Invite a family or invite a neighbor. Invite somebody. They might say no. So what? Invite them out because we do share the gospel and we do have a prayer to receive Jesus as our Savior. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus... Come up. We want to pray with you to receive Jesus. May never ever see you again, but then I will see you in eternity. God bless you guys. Have a great week.